when you have the happy, your income, your the latest gadget, trips, none of that matters. The happy matters. podcast where we bring you inspiring stories of women who are truly leading extraordinary lives. Today we are joined by my good friend Irma Jansen. Now Irma is an ergonomics expert. Now we talk right off the bat about what the heck ergonomics is because you know for those like me I had no clue before Irma became my ergonomics queen in my life. So we talk about how to keep your body safe and comfortable and so that you're functioning at your optimal best throughout your life. We also talk about Irma's recently released book, DIY Ergonomics, Live Pain-Free and Save Money. So Irma put together, Irma self-published this book, which is all about how to keep your body comfortable when you're working at a desk, working at home, all those kinds of things, whether you're an adult, a child, whatnot, and how to do it on the cheap, right? Like we don't all get the luxury of adjustable desks. Anyways, Irma talks us through that process and actually creating a book and what that what that has meant to her and what that how that's changed her career a little bit. We talk about being an entrepreneur because Irma has a consulting business in occupational therapy. So we talk about what she's learned as an entrepreneur along the way. And we also really talk about resiliency and how how you actually build resiliency in your own life. And we talk about the book that Irma is absolutely loving right now. So on that note, today's episode is sponsored by Audible. If you join Audible, you will get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash girl tries life. And there's over 180,000 titles to choose from. You can use it on your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or your MP3 player. And it honestly has changed my reading landscape. I've read almost 60 books this year, and that has been absolutely incredible. Whereas last year I read 12 books. So the book that Irma recommends in this podcast, Furiously Happy by Jenny Lawson is on Audible. And I have listened to it on Audible. It is read by the author and it is absolutely hilarious. So I think you guys should go check it out. Audibletrial.com forward slash girl tries life. Now, without further ado, let's head over to the interview. Well, thank you very much, Irma, for joining the podcast. We're excited to have you. I am thrilled to be a part of your podcast. I'm really excited. So you and I have known each other for five, six years? Yeah, I think about that. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. When you were ergonomics gal, well, you are still er- ergonomics gal. <laughs> yes. So for a grounding for listeners who were just like, ergo what? What is, uh, what's ergonomics? I understand the ergo what question. So ergonomics is, I guess, a science, really, a health science, about adapting the environment to suit the needs of the individual. So you adapt whatever the, the task or job is that a person wants to do so that they can do it without getting hurt or without maybe aggravating an existing injury. So when it comes to working in the office, that would be things like uh, making sure they're sitting properly in a good chair, making sure that they're not overusing or over recruiting muscles and injuring themselves when they're using the mouse and the keyboard. So you're trying to keep all of us from becoming hunchbacks in our older age? Yes. Right. Yes. Being crippled is a negative way to live life. Right. You realize while you were explaining that I found myself sitting up more straight because <laughs> I, I realized who I'm in front of. Uh, Honey, yeah. they don't call me the posture police for nothing. There you go. <laughs> so, but how, okay. 
what was the journey to saying that's what I want to do with my life? Like, how did this come about as a career option? Oh, wow. Well, I've been an occupational therapist for 22 years. So I guess that's where it started was with occupational therapy, which is the far lesser known rehab therapy. You know, there's physio, occupational therapy and speech and language pathology. And most people are just like they say, ergo what? It's occupational. What? Yeah. To me, so, that sounds like work therapy is what that sounds like. I know. Like. I know a lot of people are like, oh, are you going to get help me get a job? Or and it's like, no. So really, I've learned how to abbreviate the explanation. But when it comes to occupational therapy, occupation is any task or activity that someone wants to do. And what we do as occupational therapists, whether we work in a hospital or in the community with physical or mental health, is say, what activity do you want to do? Are you having any difficulty doing it? Why? And how do we fix it? And fixing it could be slightly adapting the activity. It could be looking at different ways of doing it, and it could also be providing equipment. So when I began working as an occupational therapist, I was in the hospital and realized very early on that I'm not the kind of person who enjoys doing the same thing day after day. Even though the patients provide variety, going to the same place every day at you know eight and leaving at four was just not uh, very stimulating for me. And also, uh, I thought, you know, there's certain parts of occupational therapy that I like and certain parts I don't like. And so I realized that occupational therapists are really in a good position to do ergonomics because we do focus on tasks and that's what ergonomics is, right? And, And adapting and trying to really maximize a person's function at what they're doing. So I really wanted to get into into that type of work and, and not just ergonomics, but actually all of vocational rehab. So returning to work and yeah, so ergonomics was just a natural part of that. So when I when I moved to Calgary, I thought I've done the hospital thing. Um, I really want to expand my repertoire of occupational therapy skills. And I also kind of wanted to do a little bit of private practice. So I just kind of put myself out there and I did some cold calling to other therapists who were doing ergonomics. And I was really, really fortunate. I found a mentor who was willing to train me and also subcontract me for work. And it all started from there. So you're basically, you're an entrepreneur, essentially. What have been the biggest aha moments for you as an entrepreneur? Ugh. Or like, or are there things you, you wish you'd known when you'd started? I, I don't have any regrets over anything I've done because I always think of everything as a learning experience and it's all really necessary. But I would say the thing that I know now and I'm so satisfied with and I didn't know back then and... I guess in a way it's kind of my aha moment is that you need to diversify. So if you found something that you can do in private practice or in your business and it's one thing and you're like, okay, I'm making a decent living off of this, but it feels, you feel a bit uneasy. So in my situation, I felt uneasy because I felt like I had all of my eggs in one basket. And the other thing was that somehow, and I couldn't pinpoint it at the time, but somehow I felt unfulfilled. So my aha moment and my advice to others is diversify, not just for the economic and financial reasons, because obviously you don't want all your eggs in one basket, but also because it's more fun, Yeah, (laughs) you know? 
So the interesting thing about that is you hear different points of view of like diversify versus go really niche um, and become an expert in something. But I think from what I'm hearing from you is that you are still an expert in the area of occupational therapy, but within that you've diversified. Right. So it's diversification. I'm glad you said that. It's diversification with the services you provide, but also with who your um, who you're providing yes. services to, yeah. right? So I had a really fantastic opportunity with one company that really took up a lot of my time. And um, I did very well from that. But like I said, I felt unfulfilled and I was a bit nervous about it. So I guess my diversification is expand your profile so that you're doing something similar. So providing ergonomic services to a corporation, but then working with insurance companies and assisting claimants return to work after a long-term disability, you know, they're kind of related. Yeah. They're not completely different, but also, so, so I diversified what I was doing, but then also those services, try to get as many different referral sources as you can. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the economy, things go up and down and some things will stay stable. So I see what you're saying that all the eggs in the one basket for an entrepreneur is even more scary. It's scary. Yeah. And then one of the things that I've really, really enjoyed is, and this has just happened in the last, you know, year and a half, where I am starting to diversify from a real traditional occupational therapy uh, private practice. So some of my private practice, you know, I've I've kind of developed my creative side in the last little while. So I'm actually looking at, I don't know if I'll ever make money off of it, but actually expanding my practice to writing humorous books or writing something or, or participating in, in business opportunities that might not have anything to do with occupational therapy, but that is my, my primal business. Yeah. So you've said diversification. So what other kind of top advice do you have for people starting their own businesses? I have some very practical advice, I think. So some of the practical advice I have, because people feel like they're so overwhelmed. How could I possibly do that? My poor, my first piece of advice is if you feel unfulfilled, think about all the things that you are going to get by following what your gut tells you to do. So there have been times where I've been you know, the carrot dangling in front of me was, well, I get paid vacation, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact is when you're doing your own business and it's the right thing for you to do, it's the right path for you, you feel fulfilled every day of the year, not just when you're on vacation. So that's my biggest thing just to say to people, go for it. The other thing is, yeah, you have to be practical, right? So I ideally always had a, a part-time job where I knew I could cover all of my expenses and then slowly built up my private practice as it went. That's my my biggest piece of advice. Don't throw everything away and put your all into this business venture because then you're going to be worried about security and finances and you really can't do that. And see what's interesting about that, I'm, have you read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? I've read part of it. So she talks about, so she's talking about this more from a creative lens, but I actually do think starting your own business and being an entrepreneur is very creative. And she talks about how when you're expecting your art, the way she describes it, to pay for itself right away, you're putting too much pressure on it. And so she talks about how 
artists really that sh it should the goal should not be to make money from it right away it should be you have a side income cultivate that and maybe the money will come and it sounds obviously with entrepreneurship you do want that business to make money but mm -hmm. to, I, i'm seeing some similarities in the have your security while you let it grow and you foster it and develop right and i think sometimes too if you have put so much pressure on yourself to make money off of something that you love doing, suddenly sometimes you can stop loving it. And I think that's, that's the other part of it is part of the fulfillment is really having fun yeah. doing what you're doing. And for me, that means diversifying the different things that I do because variety is good, but also making sure that in the midst of maybe some heavier stuff that you're doing, you can work on a project that's, that makes you laugh. Yeah. So I, I want to talk about one of the projects that I, I think made you laugh. You've recently written a book, DIY Ergonomics. Uh, we'll link to it on the, on the show notes and stuff like that. But uh, if anyone even looks at the cover of your book, I think they know they're in for some entertaining teaching with your stick figures. Oh, I love that. Describe it. So tell, tell us about the book and how it came to be. Okay. Well, I am passionate about helping people and health prevention, and that's kind of how this book came about. So I thought about writing a book and thought, oh, how could I ever do that? Just like when you're starting your business, how could I ever do that? Well, you just do it, right? So I thought I need to write something about what I know. And I thought, well, I know about ergonomics, and there's such a group of people out there that that need assistance that maybe don't have access to it. Maybe their their employer doesn't make ergonomics accessible to them. Maybe they just don't know. And there's electronic devices like computers, tablets, phones, everything. Everybody has them, right? And there's so much potential for injury. And a lot of the injury, we don't even know how bad it can get because sometimes it takes years to for symptoms to arise, right? So um, a lot of it is preventable. And really what people need is information. People are also spending a ridiculously large amount of money going to different um, healthcare practitioners to, to get their aches and pains fixed. And that drives me bananas. fixing the root of the problem. Yeah, yeah, it drives me crazy. So I know uh, like innumerable people who will go to a health practitioner my shoulder is sore, my arm is sore, but they won't do anything about the source of it. And that drives me bananas. I just think it's such a waste of money. So I thought I'm going to go out there and I'm going to provide a resource that is accessible to everyone. So I wrote a book called DIY Ergonomics, Live Pain-Free and Save Money. Because if you prevent the pain to begin with, you're not going to have to spend the money to fix it, right? So, and I also thought that... There's so many anatomically correct books about the muscles and the body and ergonomics. Why do I have to remake that book? So I decided to draw my own stick figures to illustrate postures and stuff like that. And I ended up having a blast doing it. And I, I tried to write it just in a really familiar, easy to read way. So ultimately, the book is designed for people to use at work and at home, to use for their kids to use for their grandparents like it's a, applicable to everyone and hopefully it'll just make give people a little bit of a chuckle because it can be a pretty dry topic normally and uh, maybe help prevent some pain were you shocked at the process that goes into developing a book 
This is a whole new area for you. Oh, I cannot believe how overwhelming it is. <laughs> so I thought, oh, the hard part is going to be writing a book. So then you go through the process of writing the book and even figuring out how you want to deliver it and what it's going to look like. And of course, there's all the self-doubt of, you know, no one's going to read this, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But once I finished writing the book and I was quite pleased with it, I then was like, oh, no, writing the book was the easy part, <laughs> you know. So I've learned so much now, like um, the next project I have, I know how I will go about getting it formatted. I know um, local printers. I know that I'm comfortable with self-publishing, you know, that kind of thing. So it's like rip off the Band-Aid, do it once, and then you you kind of know. Yeah, that's exciting. I am so proud of you because I remember Thanks. when... It's not that long ago since you talked to me about wanting to do the book. And so from the point of starting to write it to it's in a bookshop <laughs> has know. not been that long for your traditional writer. Two years, maybe? Yeah, two years. I would say I wrote the bulk of it um, between March and December of 2016. So less than two years. Like, yeah. And that is a short turnaround time, realistically, for a book. So good for you. Yeah. Awesome. It was hard work. There were times where I was like, I, I want to be done this. And there were times where I just felt completely elated doing it. So yeah. as with anything, right? Yes. So, okay, a little bit back to ergonomics, seeing as that's what the book is about. Why is it so important? What are we all doing wrong? Oh, okay. Well, it's so... I'm sure there's lots of things. <laughs> yeah, like, where do I, how much time do we have? Yeah. Posture and ergonomics is important, <laughs> as Victoria straightens up. Yeah. <laughs> posture is important because posture is how we live. You know, if you don't have good posture, you have trouble breathing. If you stand up taller and straighter, you look better. You <laughs> feel better, right? Um, so there's really obvious, simple survival reasons why, um, from a really practical position, eventually we all end up having bad discs in our back and our neck, and we all end up with, you know, um, our discs slowly breaking down. I mean, that's the kind of boring part about ergonomics, but it's the sad reality. It sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's not nice. And as we get older, we kind of accept, oh, yeah, this is going to happen. And I'm going to potentially get arthritis in my back or my neck or something. But what I've discovered in my practice, and I've been in an occupational therapist for 22 years, but I've been doing ergonomics for 14 and what I've seen even in that short span of time is that the people who are reporting pain and discomfort and even coming back with like permanent issues are getting younger and younger. So I find that really awful. And I think there's going to be a generation potentially of people who are incapable of straightening their, their necks up the whole way you know and it seems like th that might be a bit of an exaggeration but I'm not sure that it is because some of the people I work with they're really young they're even athletes they come out of university and they don't realize that their head is tilted forward so I'm wondering if my head is tilted forward <laughs> uh, yeah we'll do an assessment later <laughs> but you know it, there's so much of it that's preventable but you can't prevent it if you don't know so ergonomics is important for that reason and, and the fact is we all want to be able-bodied for as long as possible right so I want to be able to go hiking when I'm in my 70s right I want to be able to maybe people want to be able to ride their bikes or play tennis or 
or whichever, if you're working in a compromised position, which is hurting your neck, which in turn is hurting your arms and your, your back, everything, you know, you're going to be limited as to what you can do later. And sometimes it's even just, you know, are you able to go home and play with your kids like you want to? Maybe your wrist is too sore. So it's just kind of allowing people to have the greatest life that they can and not have a, some kind of a, even if it's a minor one, but a disability that prevents them from having an awesome life. Well, that's great. We will all have to work on our posture and strengthen our core muscles and all that kind of Oh, kind of I, stuff. you know what? You asked uh, as well, like, what is one of the most important things? And it all starts with sitting. Mm. We don't sit properly anymore. We're, I think, a, a people who have forgotten how to sit. And you really, I think a lot of people sit on the their backs instead of on their bums. And the fact is, you need to sit on your bum. Like, you need to sit down as if you're doing a squat and I always laugh and tell people, booty back, booty back. Yeah. But really, people don't sit properly. And if you don't sit properly, everything else is out of alignment and you're kind of doomed. So the really important thing is to sit properly, get a great chair if you can. One of the things that I made a point of doing in my book is uh, creating a chart of ergonomic solutions for all budgets. So I want, again, accessibility. I don't want good ergonomics only to be available to people who can get this great desk and a chair. I've written in how you can make a safe work environment at your kitchen table with a dining room chair. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it, and it is. It's a little bit more work, but you can do it. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. Very few people have the kind of budget to buy those kinds of chairs and that mm -hmm. equipment in their home environment. Like, I'm lucky at work that I have a sit-stand desk and I count my blessings, but... If I think of the number of hours I'm on my laptop at home. Oh, don't even tell me. Actually, you know, <laughs> the home is a really important place yeah. to get that stuff figured out. And that's where you are more in many cases on budget. So absolutely. That's great. Well, thank you so much. So you worked overseas as an occupational therapist mm -hmm. in Scotland. So tell me a bit about why you wanted that overseas work experience and sort of what that has meant in your life. Oh, wow. It was fabulous. So I, from the time I've been a kid, have always wanted to travel, but um, grew up in a large family on a farm and, you know, we didn't have the resources to go on like really big family vacations. And when I uh, started growing up being on my own, you know, then I had university and then I had a student loan and I came to the conclusion that if I wanted to see the world and I was desperate to go to Europe, I would have to do it by working in different places. And I was really, really fortunate in that I found out once I was in the occupational therapy program that it's fairly easy, or it was at the time, this was in the late 90s, to go to other countries and work as a therapist. And I needed to go somewhere that spoke English. So I chose the UK. It's Scotland. <laughs> no, I'm, I say that and I'll just, my husband is Scottish, but sometimes it sounds like a foreign language. Oh my. Yeah, you're not kidding. And of course, when you're working in a hospital, which I was, you um, you get a lot of people who have never left their small community and have very strong accents. So it was it was pretty challenging at times, but I loved it. I had a, a work permit. I was there for three and a half years. Anyone who has the opportunity to not just visit a place, but live somewhere. Oh, absolutely do it. 
I loved it. I got to, I didn't really know any people from North America. I had loads of great friends from primarily the UK, but some from Australia and New Zealand. And uh, to this day, I mean, it's been 15 years since I moved back to Canada. I'm still so close to these friends. You know, we visit each other, we Skype, and it was just a brilliant opportunity. And it also helps. I mean, I think traveling is education. So it really helps to see other cultures, helps you to understand people. It was fabulous. Oh, I'm so glad. You're completely right about the education standpoint. You you don't know what you don't know, right? So if mm-hmm. you don't get out of your community, your province, your country, it's one thing to see it on the news or read about it in a book, but to experience things firsthand makes such a difference. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, it's just a, a stereotype in your mind, you know, and it but doesn't Irma, matter. Canadians live in igloos, didn't you know? <laughs> Oh, yeah, that stereotype, too. Yes, I think I think I broke a few of those those boundaries as well for the, the Scots there. Yeah. So well, on this 30 degree day, our igloo would be melted. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. So I want to talk a little bit about resiliency. It's so critical in today's economy and our lives in general. And so you've surely gone through some ups and downs in your life. So how have you fostered resiliency? Oh, wow. I love that you brought that up. So I think again, to be able to be more resilient, you have to realize that you need resiliency and you have to be aware of what's going on in your environment and to you. So realizing that you're starting to get starved or that you're starting to not be as capable and you're starting to feel a bit overwhelmed is huge. I I think myself and a lot of other people, we don't always realize how, how bad it's getting. So one thing that I realized and, you know, I was laid off from work about a year and a half ago and was kind of not sure what was going to happen, etc. And I think, you know, sometimes you you know that you've got um, you have to recognize that your cup is full and meaning that the little things in life that normally you could deal with no problem are suddenly causing you a bit of stress and any little thing now is going to make your cup overflow and you can't cope with things. And I think that's my way of explaining that I came to the realization that there's times where my cup is really close to full and I need ways of making myself happy and and feeling resilient and, and being able to get over things so that my cup empties a bit so that if something contributes to my cup, it doesn't make me lose it. So that's my idea of resiliency. Again, it's just being aware and and doing enough good things to make you feel good so that you can cope with the not so good things. Yeah. It's interesting that you talk about that. Sometimes we don't realize when our cup runneth over because oh, yeah. I, I have talked on this podcast about sort of issues that I have had current continue to have or whatnot with mental health. And it We've talked about this before, but it wasn't until a conversation with you many years ago that I that it even triggered for me that what I was going through was maybe depression. And so I will always be grateful to you as someone that kind of triggered that for me and started me on that journey to get help. So that's so kind of you to say. <laughs> I well, I appreciate like it made a world of difference in my life and it's helped me to become more resilient. So right. it's you know, when you don't know, you don't know and yeah, so 
Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but talking about, you know, you're saying finding time for those happy things. You know, we talk about finding your happy, finding your meaningfulness. What what has that looked like for you in the big ways and the small? I think the small, well, I'm, I'm saying this is the small stuff, uh, maybe because it hasn't required as much of a change for me, but was just changing my mindset. People speak about mindfulness, but actually understanding and doing mindfulness is different than just talking about it. So I have made a real effort to appreciate what is happening in my present and enjoying the moment, like whether it's with friends or my husband or, you know, my family, my cats, whatever it is, and being able to appreciate the moment and just go ahead and have a good laugh, right? In a larger sense, uh, I cannot tell you how fulfilling it is to, uh, to do, to be a little bit more in charge of my professional life, right? So having a little bit of my own schedule, you know, we talked about my crazy stick figures in my book, you know, I never dreamt that I was even remotely an artist, but now sometimes I'm doing sketches and drawings for certain projects and I laugh, it makes me laugh and it's creation and it's different from some of the other stuff I do. That has really helped with my resiliency. So the happy feeds into that as well. Yeah. Oh, happy. The happy is so huge. I mean, the happy is everything. When you have the happy, your income, your the latest gadget, trips, none of that matters. The happy matters. Yeah. It's a ch- I think it's a challenge, though, for so many of us to figure... I mean, there wouldn't be this huge self-help industry and there wouldn't be... You know, there's a documentary called Happy. People are trying to figure it out, but... So you, so what you're saying is you kind of just listen to what makes you feel good and just spend more time in those areas and mindfulness and... I guess. I mean, I think... I mean, it's certainly not easy, right? I think... Yeah. I guess if I wanted... I just realized this. I guess what... To summarize it or just to really make it simple, you can't get happy outside of yourself. You're not going to get happy from someone else. You're not going to get happy from something else. You're going to get happy from inside. And and then you can receive happy from other people, right? It's not that other people and other things don't make you happy. But ultimately, you're not going to be happy. So I think back to the time when I had my private practice and I wasn't diversified and I felt unfulfilled and I felt worried. Well, now I have less of an income, far less of an income, but I have to be, like, I can't even tell you how many more times happier I am, right? So I feel way more satisfied. That's, and it, come, it came from inside. That's fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, and it's the resiliency. I love it. So we're going to move into the five questions that I ask all of our interviewees. So Irma, what are the things, the projects that get you really fired up in a good way? Oh, I think when I feel like, and I don't want to sound too like goody two shoes or altruistic, but I think when it's something that I'm passionate about and I also want to help other people to, to promote themselves, I get really fired up about something. So um, I got fired up about my book because I wanted to help other people, but I also was looking forward to the idea of actually being an author. Now I'm developing a course from that book 
And I am so stoked about teaching other therapists how to do ergonomics so that they can use their skills to help other people and they can promote themselves the same way I have. I mean, that gets me super excited. It's a win-win, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, I love it. That's great. And it's not goody two-shoes. It's... So I work in the nonprofit sector and people say that volunteerism... Uh, has that same sort of reaction in the brain that, you know, it's like buying a gift at Christmas. You want to see what the person's reaction is to the gift you got them, right. less so than the, you know, the gift that you're receiving kind of thing. Right. So it's the same concept. I don't... Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. I, I, I think sometimes it's like, uh, I'm not so altruistic that I would do it like something that, you know, I wouldn't get anything from it, but so I'll get something, but I'm also helping something, somebody yeah. else. It's almost like getting a really awesome piece of clothing and having it be on sale. Oh, yes. <laughs> we all have that. It's funny, women especially, like I don't see guys do this, but you'll be like, oh, I love your dress. You're like, thanks, 50% off. I know, right? right? <laughs> and I bragged it was $10. Yeah. <laughs> guys are just like, thanks. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. What is the most inspiring book that you've read in the past few years? So... I love to read and I read so many books and I have favorites, but because right now, the last few years I've been reading a lot of memoirs and biographies and I've also been, you know, you brought up, you know, mental health and stuff. As a healthcare professional, there's just absolutely no way you can separate mental and physical health. And I'm finding that with all of my work. So the book that I'm really, really enjoying um, is by Jenny Lawson called Furiously Happy. And I just think it's hilarious. So that's the one with like a, an animal on the cover, isn't it? She's got a crazy stuffed raccoon on the front of the okay. cover. Yeah. So she's a blogger. And she has been diagnosed with um, like uh, a few mental illness illnesses so she's definitely got you know some mental health issues and she writes about it and she really strips down some of the barriers I think you know I think she's very relatable because even though um, <laughs> you know people who know me might argue this but even though I don't have a diagnosed mental illness we all have our ups and downs I mean there's no such thing as not having some mentally ill days it's just like saying i'm never sick like come on you're feeling a little under the weather physically that happens mentally as well i mean i think it's time if people don't know that already they need to know it's a huge organ in it's, your body like i'm not surprised yes. people have yeah and the number of times people have muscular tension and joint issues that are at least aggravated by stress and, and mental health. I mean, it's it's just, it's a huge factor. So what I love about what Jenny Lawson does in her book is first of all, she makes you really laugh, but she also breaks down so many barriers about mental illness, makes you realize, okay, some of that stuff I do, and it's totally okay. So I think she also gets people, like here we are right now, discussing it. And I mean, that's how you break down barriers. So people should not be worried about talking about mental illness any more than they should be worried about talking about diabetes or cancer or anything like that, right? So I'm really into that. So could you share with us your favorite quote and why it's your favorite quote? Mm. So <laughs> I did prepare for this question. Yep. And I thought I really have to be sincere about this because there's so many beautiful quotes out there. But if I'm gonna be honest, 
The quote that I love and live by is shit or get off the pot. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally true. I am not a believer in complaining about something or being unhappy about something without doing something about it. So I always, it's my message to myself. If I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm like, well, either don't do it or get it done and be done with it, right? And I think too, my other thought behind that, and I actually use this with some of my clients is, you know what, There, if you really want to do something or you don't want to do something, remember, you're in control. So if you want something, go get it. If you don't want to do it, you know, and it's not important to you and you're just doing it for someone else, don't do it. But if you want it, Get on it. Yeah. See, so my, one of my favorite quotes that is maybe a nicer version of that (laughs) is by Shonda Rhimes. And she says, don't be a dreamer, be a doer. Oh, I love that. And it was part of a bigger graduation speech, I think, that she gave to Dartmouth. And she was like, it was a whole thing about how it's nice to have these pretty dreams and to plan to do this one day but she says the people that achieve amazing things in this life actually do things and that's why in a lot of the podcast episodes at the end of it I talk about how action is the important thing and what is the action that you're going to take today so I yeah 100% connect with that (laughs) that's a much more eloquent way of saying it well it's from it's from the queen of what is it Thursday night yeah yeah that woman knows how to say things the right way she can spin a good line yeah yeah So what is the best life lesson or life advice that you've been given? That I've been given? Or that you've learned? Oh, I guess it's something that I kind of was talking about before. Don't, if you can help it. I mean, sometimes we have life circumstances and we can't do anything about it. But if you can help it, don't stay in a, a job you don't like or a relationship you don't like or like in any situation that you're not feeling good about, don't stick with it if you don't have to. I mean, assuming, you know, obviously I don't want to be like a home wrecker by saying this, but, you know, do something about it. If you're not happy, be brave. Don't be reckless, but be brave. Make those changes to, to, to see if your dreams can become reality. And I guess you know, my reckless comment has to go back again to, you know, do it, do baby steps. You know, you want to have your private practice, you have to pay your mortgage, work part time and slowly build it. But don't stay in a situation because it feels safe. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. So Irma, what does it mean to you to live your best life? (sighs) Well, to be happy. You know what? That's it. It's to be happy. We talked about it before. I obviously have things I'd love to do. I want to be able to maintain my home. I love where I live. I'd love to be able to travel. I'd love to be able to experience things. But when it comes down to it, you, your overall, it makes more sense to me to be happy every day than to be kind of like, eh, or even unhappy for a good portion of the time so you can look forward to those things. So just being happy on a daily basis. It makes me think of people that talk about, I'll do this when I'm retired. Oh yeah. Like I'll, I'll 
save the money or whatever. I'll be happy when I retire. I just need to dredge through all of that. And I 100% agree with you. It's maybe make a little bit of sacrifice in different areas of your life to to have that now. Yeah. And I think I used to think too, like, oh, I'll do this, this, and this, and then I'll be able to travel, right? Like, use that as an example again. As I get older, I'm realizing more and more how important it is to be happy where you are. And all that other stuff is icing. Thank you so much, Irma, for joining the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Irma is someone that I find just furiously happy, (laughs) honestly. She is someone that is incredibly positive, always looks at the bright side of things, and uses that positivity in building her resiliency. I think she gave a lot of great advice when it came to not putting all your eggs in one basket and diversifying your business. And we can think about that when it comes to the rest of our lives, right? If all of your friends are in the same friend group, or you only are friends with people at work, or you only do this kind of exercise, or you only eat this way, like we need to be, we need to fight diversify our lives a little bit so that we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket. And while that might seem more focused to work, I truly think that there's ways that you can implement it in the rest of your life. Now, again, if you want to pick up the book that she recommended, Furiously Happy by Jenny Lawson, I highly recommend you check it out on Audible. Jenny Lawson is a hilarious narrator, and it's so nice to hear it from the author herself. You can get a free download of it if you go to audibletrial.com forward slash girl tries life, all one word. So I hope that you've enjoyed today's episode. Next time, we are joined by my friend, Nicole Potter. Nicole will be talking to us about her experience as a teacher with behaviorally challenged kids. We're also going to be talking about diversity. We're going to be talking about sex. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things. So it's going to be a really interesting, funny episode. And it is actually the first episode that I have recorded while we were having a couple drinks. So it's probably the most laid back episode you will ever hear. So until next time, have a fantastic weekend. Remember, if you want to change anything in your life, if you want to achieve anything, you've got to take some action today. And that can be the babyest step possible. But what is that baby step that you're going to take today? Okay, have a great week, guys. Take care and I'll see you next time.